That baby gets an Academy Award. That's three services. That baby has not cried. I want to know what anointing they prayed on that child. An anointing of don't cry. Let's stand together, can we? Beautiful song. Thank you, Jade. I want to talk to you today about the, of course, it being Christmas time, the birth of Jesus Christ. And just the incredible miracle of the whole thing. Remember, I've been sharing the last few weeks that Christianity stands on the legs of two miracles, a virgin's womb and empty tomb. We're going to be celebrating the empty tomb in a few months. Hard to believe, but we're there. But this is the virgin's womb that a virgin shall conceive and shall bring forth a son. And they shall call his name Emmanuel, God with us. And so let's look at that birth today, and I want to bring out a particular aspect of it, that being where he was born, behind the hotel, sort of in the parking lot, because that's where everybody took their animals and tied them up. It was the manger. I want to talk about that manger and how it compares to the human heart. So while they were in Bethlehem, the time came for Mary to give birth to her baby, and her first son was born. And she put cloth around him and laid him in a place where cattle are fed. Why? Because there was no room for them in the inn. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you right now for the power of your word, the power of your message. May your word change us today, renew our minds today. And I want to pray, Lord, particularly for those who might be far from you, whose hearts have yet to be powerfully touched by God, that you will touch them right where they are and draw them near, that they would come to know your life today by the grace of God. And we thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Everybody say Merry Christmas. Christmas. You can be seated. God bless you. And we've looked so far at the impossible conception and the improbable journey from Galilee to Bethlehem. And then the impractical arrival. When they got there, there was no room for them in the inn. And now today I want to talk about the incredible, the incredible birth of Jesus. You know, I think one of the things that strikes me more than anything is seeing who he was and who he is, how his birth was so unnoticed, without fanfare without trumpets, without pomp, without splendor, without a lot of people there to greet him from the Roman government. There were no who's who's there. It was a discreet birth. It was really out of the way, in the shadows, like a whisper instead of a shout. The birth of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords just came into the world with not much recognition. Matter of fact, a few angels showed up and Joseph was there and, of course, Mary and some shepherds came on the scene later. But aside from that, where was Herod and and where were all the people of Jerusalem and Bethlehem and where were uh, so many others that should have been there going, thank you, God, that you sent your son. It just didn't happen. They got there. They were told there was not a room in the hotel. So they had to go around back. Now, I believe in the providence of God. I believe that God is in charge of his world. 
And that gives me peace in the midst of the storm so many times. I'm so glad that he's a sovereign God. He's a mighty God. And let me tell you, he's got the devil on a leash. And he's in charge of his universe. And, and I believe that. But particularly when it came to his only begotten son, there's not one thing, not one movement, not one scintilla of activity that happened in the life of Jesus that was not ordered by the providence of God. And so when they get to this hotel and they are told there's no vacancy, man, you got here just a little bit too late. The last couple just got a room. You're going to have to go around back. I can give you the backyard. I can, I can let you go back where the angel or rather where the animals are tied up, but I can give you a manger, but I can't give you a room. I believe that though that seems absurd and though it looks ridiculous in light of who was about to arrive, I do believe that it was on purpose. I believe that where Jesus was born was absolutely ordered by God. It was providential that there was no room in the inn. You know, sometimes a closed door is as much God as an open door. And sometimes we need to thank God for closed doors. And I thank God that that door closed that night for Mary and Joseph because of what it shows us. See, I believe that God had him born back there to tell us something. I believe there's a message in it. God is a great communicator. And I, he not only communicates by words, but he communicates by his creation. He, he communicates by the way he orders circumstances. And I believe that God was, was communicating here. The surroundings in which Jesus was born was on purpose. It was discreet for a reason. It was where it was for a reason. God did it on purpose. And I believe it's because that manger is like our heart. I want you to think about this with me. Isn't it true that when you and I come to Christ and we say, Lord, forgive me of my sins and come into my heart, what does he do? He comes into our heart and he dwells there supernaturally by the power of the Holy Spirit. The surroundings that Jesus was born in, this really struck me amazingly resemble the heart of man without God. And that's why he was born there. He's born in us like he was born in that manger. And God gives us a brand new heart like he transformed that manger. The Bible says that our problem is a heart problem. We don't have a drug problem. We don't have a gun problem. We have a heart problem. Our hearts need to be touched by God. We need to be born again. And I want you to know that this gospel we preach is all about the power of a mighty God, an everlasting God, a real God, a powerful God who can actually come into our hearts and transform us from the inside out. That's why it doesn't do any good to bring gun control. Yes, everybody wants to have a knee-jerk reaction about what happened in Connecticut, and it was horrible and it was a tragedy. But the problem is not guns, it's the heart's that direct the hands that hold the guns. That's the problem. We need a heart transplant. And that's what our God gives us. You know, I'm amazed at modern medicine. They can now go into a person and they can actually take the heart of one person and put it into the, the chest of another. And you can live your life out with someone else's heart beating in your chest. That's a miracle. But there's a greater miracle. 
That greater miracle is, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creation. The old is passed away and all has become new. Friend, we're not preaching religion here. We're not talking New Year's resolution or turning over a new leaf or rehabilitation or kicking some habit for the new year of 2013. When you talk about coming to Jesus, you're talking about divine surgery being done on the heart of people where he changes you. Ezekiel said, looking down the tunnel of time at the day that Christ would come, God is speaking through Ezekiel, first person, and he says, I will give you a new heart, and I will put a new spirit in you. I will take out your stony, stubborn heart and give you a tender, responsive heart. Listen to the way the Bible describes our hearts. Stony, stubborn. Anybody ever had a stony, stubborn heart? The rest of you are just lying through your teeth. You need to repent. Because it's human nature to have a stony, stubborn heart. This is what Jesus meant when he said, I'm telling you truly, truly, you must be born again. If you're ever going to see the kingdom of God, you've got to have a supernatural heart transplant. It's not a matter of you trying to be better. You will never be good enough to please God. It's not a matter of you kicking a habit. That's not going to get you into heaven. It may help your body a little bit, may add some years to your life, but it will not add eternal life to you. We need a heart transplant. Our nation needs a heart transplant. Our nation has departed from God, and the only way they know to respond to manifestations of blatant evil is to force it down. But what we really need is a heart transplant, a heart transformation. We need to invite God back in to the nation he blessed in the beginning. That's what we need to do. Why are we hurting so bad? Why are there so many manifestations of incomprehensible evil? It is because we have kicked God out. And because of that, hearts have grown stony and cold and wicked and evil. The heart without God can do anything. When we're born again, Jesus is born into our hearts by the power of the Holy Spirit. So think with me a minute. Our hearts are the manger where he is born. We're changed immediately. Jesus can do in one second what a psychologist could not do in 20 years. He reaches in with his surgical skill. He comes in by the power of his mighty spirit. He uses the scalpel of the word of God. And he operates on our heart and gives us a heart of compassion, a heart like his. Thank God for hearts of love, hearts of patience, hearts of, com of compassion, hearts of mercy, hearts of grace. They come from him. Now, the first thing I see about this manger that is just like the heart, the manger was cold. You know, in a real stable in wintertime, there's a damp sort of cold that reaches in and just chills you to the bone. You just shake like a leaf. If you've ever been in, in the middle of the winter in a real stable, because it, it's moist in there, there's something about it that is just cold. The only heat available to you is the heat from the animals. The Bible says the human heart can be just that cold. Now, I'm not here to tickle ears. I think it's time the church got rid of all this politically correct jargon 
and this false belief system that says, I'm okay, you're okay, and we're basically and fundamentally good people. Yes, we do good things, but every one of us are sinners in the eyes of God. And every person born onto this planet needs to be born twice, needs to be born again. Again. Did you know the Bible predicts that in the last days men's hearts will be so cold that no redeeming feelings will exist in them at all? That's how cold the heart can get. The Bible says that people will be without natural affection. That comes from a Greek phrase that means familial affection, that the hearts of people will be so cold that sin can so kill your heart, so deaden your soul that you don't even have natural compassion, parents for children, children for parents. It's gone. We, we become gutted of anything that is loving or good or merciful. And we can be cruel, like in an unimaginable way. This man who walked into a school and mowed down children in a classroom and then took his own life facing God after having done that. And we, we say, and the whole nation begins to say, how could that happen? And they're t- still today wringing in their hands, trying to figure it out. I don't mean to sound proud or boastful, but it's not a perplexity to me. Because I know what the Bible says about the heart. I get my wisdom, my understanding of human nature, not from Freud, but from the Bible. And the Bible says... That the heart of man can do anything when it's not been touched by God. Without natural affection, Paul said in the last days, here's what people are going to look like. They're going to be lovers of themselves, narcissistic. They're going to be lovers of money, greedy. They're going to be boastful, walk around arrogant, proud, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, without love, cold. Cold like that manger. They're going to be cold. You know, how many times have you walked away from somebody who said something and said, man, that was cold. Human nature, apart from God, is cold. And because this culture is going to reject God before Christ comes, and our culture right now is running from God, we're watching hearts get colder by the day. And we're watching people do things that 30 years ago would have been unimaginable to us. It's not a mystery to me. It's the human heart. But here's the good news. When a person is saved, the Bible says that the love of God is poured onto our hearts by the Holy Ghost who is given to us. That when you get saved, Jesus plugs you into the life of God. And for the first time in your whole life, divine love flows on your heart and changes your heart from a stony heart to a heart of flesh with compassion and mercy and grace and love. Thank God for a supernatural heart transplant, but that manger was cold. Why did God work it where Jesus was born back there? Because he knew that Jesus would be born multiple, multiple millions and hundreds of million times more in hearts that were cold. But the second thing I see about the manger is it was dark. The only light behind the Bethlehem Inn was maybe a few candles and the light of the moon and the stars. That was it. Maybe a lantern. But there was no power grid. There were no light bulbs. There were no, uh, no nothing but natural fire. That's the only light they had. It was dark in that manger. And can I tell you the truth today, church? We as believers need to know this and we need to preach this and share this. That apart from God, our hearts are dark. 
before Christ comes into them. Jeremiah diagnosed the human heart. And listen to what he said in chapter 17, verse 9. The human heart is the most deceitful of all things. It is not just wicked, but he said desperately wicked. Who really knows how bad it is? Who can plumb its depths? Who can understand it, he says. The human heart. It's dark. That's why people do things, because they have dark hearts. Uh, Our nation needs a revival of the Holy Spirit. It needs a return to God. It needs to be preaching Christ again. And preachers need need to put down their political correctness and quit worrying about what people think or people leaving their congregations and stand in the pulpit and roar like lions that you must be born again. If you're ever gonna see the kingdom of God and tell this culture the truth about its heart, We have a heart problem. One day when the Lord Jesus was talking about why people reject him, here's what he said. This is the verdict. Light has come into the world, but people loved darkness instead of light because their deeds were evil. Everyone who does evil hates the light and will not come into the light for fear their deeds will be exposed. That's why some people won't come to a church that preaches the word of God. They don't want the light of the word shining on them. But it's a great, great day when you admit your sin and come to Christ. The human heart without Christ is dark because of its preference for sin. And sin is dark. Jesus said the light of the body is the eye. If your eye is dark, your whole body is full of pitch night darkness. When Jesus is born into a person's heart, you know what he does? He fills it with light. It's no longer dark in the soul of that person. It says in 2 Corinthians 4, verse 6, it is the God who commanded light to shine out of darkness, who has shone in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. The same God who on the day of creation, light was the first thing he made. He said, let there be light and there was light. And he divided light from darkness and night from day, the first thing God made was light. He says the same God that spoke light in the beginning of creation speaks light into your soul when you get saved. And it comes in through Jesus Christ, who John, the apostle, said when we were following him around, he was like a light. He was like a light. He was like following around a spotlight. His words were a light. His actions were a light. His lifestyle was like a light. There was no darkness in him, not a scintilla of darkness. Jesus is light. And when you come to him, your soul is flooded with light. But until you do, it's cold and it's dark. Your heart is cold. Your heart is dark. And the third thing I see about this manger, I got to tell you the truth. The manger was dirty. And the human heart without God is dirty. Do we really need to be told that? In a nation drowning in pornography? in a nation that is completely besotted with filth, that without God, the human heart gravitates towards moral and spiritual dirt. Isn't that really true? Did you know that a a real stable, if you go into one, it's nasty. It's full of mud, dust, cobwebs, manure, and it smells like must and mold. It is dirty. The cattle in there, when they're eating, they slobber all over the ground. And that's what makes it kind of muddy. It is like gross, dirty. In the summer, there's flies, spiders, and other insects, and birds nesting in the rafters. And you know what they do? Have you parked under a tree lately? 
Point is, there's no such thing as a clean, hygienic manger. And where was Jesus taken? He was taken back where the cattle are. It was dirty. Did God just kind of go, oops, I didn't mean for that to happen, or was it on purpose? It was on purpose. With his son, not one thing was out of the order of God. Why did God let it happen? Because the human heart is cold. It is dark, and it is dirty, and it needs cleansing. The Bible testifies that our hearts are dirty. Jesus said this of the human heart in Mark 7, verse 21. He, he, he said, for from within, out of a person's heart, come evil thoughts. Listen to this list. Evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, greed, wickedness, deceit, lustful desires, envy, slander, pride, foolishness. You read this list and you want to open up your chest and rip your heart out. It sounds so dirty. Look at what it cooks up. Look at where your heart goes without God. Jesus said all these vile things which means dirty things, come from within. They are what defile you. When somebody murders, it's because of their heart. When somebody commits immorality, it's because of their heart. The heart is what needs to be touched. And I know a great physician, and he doesn't charge you, and you don't need insurance to get his work done on you. I'm serious. He took care of all of your health insurance on the cross. He paid the price. He paid a debt that he did not owe because we owed a debt. We would never have been able to pay. So his blood paid for it all. The surgery room is open. Come in and let Dr. Jesus give you a brand new heart. Finally, I see not only was it dark and cold and dirty, but it was lonely, lonely. That place was lonely back there. It was already mentioned. Nobody was there to greet them. There wasn't anybody back there but the animals. The the innkeeper didn't give anybody to help Joseph and Mary. There was no other woman to go back there with her and help her with this delivery. They went back there alone. It was lonely. All the laughter, all the mirth, all the joy, all the fellowship was in the hotel. That's where everybody was. And you know what? It's the same with the human heart. It's not only dark and dirty and cold, but it's lonely. I want to promise you it's lonely. I've never seen lonelier people in my life. It's amazing. We live in a culture where communication options are more numerous than at any time in history. Think about it. If you want to contact somebody, you can email, you can text, you can tweet, you can twerp, you can (laughs) phone, internet, Facebook. There's so many ways to contact people, and and we can instantly access anyone anywhere in the world, and yet our nation is so desperately lonely. Movie stars who have money, fame, fortune, their whole life in front of them, kill themselves, commit suicide, drown their lives in drugs and alcohol and depravity. Why? Something's wrong. Something hasn't been fixed, and something needs to be fixed. I read recently of people true story, who go to malls just to be approached by a salesperson so they can talk to somebody. They'll go in and feign interest in a product just so a salesperson will come up and say, can I help you? And they can interact with an individual, with a human being. They're that lonely. Then they go back to their lonely apartment or their lonely condo or their lonely house and live their lonely lives. Listen to some of the things lonely people have written in blogs. Quote, 
I have hardly any friends, writes one. I'm spending my days in my room on the computer. I know that's not great, but it beats being lonely. Another wrote, I have some acquaintances, but nobody close to me. Other people seem to have people to call up to do things. I don't. What's wrong with me? They ask. Another wonders, I can't find people who seem like they might be good friends to have. How can I find people I can connect with? And another frustrated individual writes, why can't I find a relationship? People tell me I'm attractive. I know lots of people on a surface level, but I don't have friends like other people do. I'm lonely. If you recognize yourself in any of those statements, you're not alone. In a world full of people, there are so many who can't seem to find friends or make relationships that last. But I'm going to tell you, I think the loneliness problem is deeper than that. I believe there's more to it than just not finding the right person to relate with. I think it's more than that. I've seen through the years that you can be alone and not lonely. You can be very alone, but not lonely, and you can be surrounded by people, yet be lonely. In other words, being around other people won't always fix your loneliness problem because there's more to the loneliness issue than not having the right person in your life. I believe part of the problem is that we are all born with a God-shaped hole in our hearts and soul. And until that hole is filled with God himself, something in us is going to remain lonely. When Adam and Eve sinned, what did God do? He kicked them out of the garden and cherubims guarded the gates. And from then on, folks, believe me, Man has been disconnected from the one with whom he was created to fellowship, to walk with, to talk with, to, to his presence to enjoy. God created us for him. We were made for him. And until we connect with him, something's going to be wrong, off, not fixed, missing in our life. We might call it lonely for home. And I, I see America lonely for home. I believe America is lonely for home and they just don't know what they're lonely for. I read a story recently about homing pigeons. And I read that one of the great mysteries of nature is the homing pigeon. You know, we've got computers and I I thank God for computers, but how many of you have ever experienced a computer breaking down and you were so glad there was a geek in the world that could fix it? And sometimes we call the geek squad. They've been at my house one time, the geek squad. And they come and they're able to get in there and take the back off that thing and go in there and fix it because they understand it. At least somebody understands that computer. But do you know that there's not a scientist in the world that understands the homing pigeon to this day? How you can release a homing pigeon 1,000 miles, 1,100 miles from its nest. You can spin that bird in circles and throw him up in the air and he will turn and head straight for his nest unalterably as if He's looking at a map, and he finds it. He'll cross land and sea to get back home. And I don't understand fully how the pigeon does that, but since I believe in a creator, here's what I believe. I believe God put within that pigeon a homing device. God put it there. It's a homing device. He longs to be back in his own nest. He has an uncanny ability to find home again. No matter where you launch him from, something in him goes that way and returns home. 
I believe that God has put in every human being a homing device. And there is something inside of us that says, I've got to find my father. I've got to find home. I'm looking for home. I'm like an orphan. I I, I know that I've got a dad somewhere and I know that something is not right. And I know there's a connection that I'm supposed to make. I just don't know what it is. I need help in finding it. You see, the, the pigeons got something over on people. He immediately heads straight for the nest, knows exactly what he's looking for. But we human beings, we don't. We hit and we miss. We search for God in all the wrong places. We grasp at counterfeits. We embrace illusions. We experiment with various options. I am convinced that when people take that drink or involve themselves in those drugs or engage in relationship after illicit relationship, they are really searching for home. They're searching for God. If you went up and said, are you looking for God? They said, oh, no, I'm not looking for God. They don't know what they're looking for, what they are, because we were made for him and he for us. God created us to worship him and to walk with him, and we will not. It's, it's as Augustine said, he said, our hearts are restless until they rest in thee. The good news is that in Jesus, God has taken the initiative to seek out the sinner and come find us. And that's why Jesus talked about the lost coin, the lost sheep, and the lost son. That's why Jesus said, I have come to seek and to save what was lost. See, you, you don't get saved till he sought you out. And I want to tell you, he'll cross land and sea. He'll come into the deepest, darkest pit of hell to find you. He will find you wasting away on your drugs. He will find you rotting your liver out with alcohol. He will find you in the dens of iniquity. He will knock on the door of your heart. He will seek you and find you and save you if you let him. You know what the true message of Christmas is? Is that Jesus took the initiative. God so loved the world. He sent his son, and it was a rescue mission. When Jesus was born in that manger, it was a rescue mission. So the true message of Christmas is that Jesus was born in the manger because he would always be born in the manger of human hearts. Your heart and my heart is just like that manger. Every time Jesus comes into a person's heart, he's born in the manger. Doesn't matter what you look like, where you've been, color of your skin, your pedigree, your education or lack thereof, how much you've involved yourself in sin. He's searching for you. He has been called in days gone by the hound of heaven. He will sniff you out. He will find you where you are. And one day you're just cooking along and yes, he says, it's me. You've heard of me. I'm Jesus. I died for you. I want to come into your life and I want to give you a heart transplant because right now your heart, it's cold. It's dark. It's dirty. And it's lonely, isn't it? Don't you want that connection? It's lonely, isn't it? Isn't something missing? You know that it is. The Bible says, If we open the door and let him in, he will come into us and fellowship with us and us with him. And some people hear that and they go, 
Ah, you know, I've heard all this before. It's Christian stuff. I don't need this. You do. And the day is going to come. You're going to need it more than you ever imagined. No matter how cold your heart is, Jesus is willing to be born there. No matter how dark it is, he's willing to be born there. No matter how dirty your heart is, where you've been, what you've done, he's still willing to be born there. No matter how lonely you feel, I'm telling you, you can find home again by Jesus coming into your heart. All we need to do on our part is say, Lord, I have sinned. I really have. And I repent of that sin. I've offended God. I've done things that separated me from God. And I've broken your commandments. And I admit it. And I agree with you. And so I just come in. Now, I know I'm preaching in the choir. But you know what I want the choir to do? Go out and preach this to someone else. Go out and, I'm finding people are hungry everywhere. They're everywhere. I know what you're thinking. Well, if I bring it up, nobody wants to hear you bring up Christianity. Yeah, you know, I'm not going to do that. They're going to blow me off and look at me weird and, or ask me a question I can't answer. You know, the Bible says God will give you a mouth to speak in the very hour that you need it. And, and so what if you don't have all the answers? You know him. And so just say, well, you know what? I can't answer that right now, but I can tell you this, that Jesus was born that first Christmas morn. God invaded planet Earth as a rescue mission. And he wants to touch and change your heart. You don't have to do it. He's going to do it for you. And it's amazing how many people want to hear that. I witness everywhere I go. If they come to my house to work on something, I give it 10 minutes and I bring it up. I have a 10 minute rule because I know if you don't bring it up, it's liable to not get brought up. So I'm, I'm working on, I haven't perfected it, but I'm working on what I'm calling my own personal 10 minute rule. Guy comes to work on the TV or something. I'm thinking, Lord, give me an opening. What do I say? I'm looking at my watch, five minutes, seven minutes. You know, he's talking about this and that and the other cowboys, whatever. And finally, I just figure out a way and I jump in. And I'm, it's amazing what happens. Had a guy at my house recently work on uh, the TV and real tatted up, you know, tattoos and kind of rough looking shaved head. Didn't look like he was interested in the things of God at all. I started praying. I said, okay, I'm on the hunt. I'm going to say something. Now, Lord, show me how to do it, what to say. He's talking along, and he's really good at what he was doing. I mean, this guy knew what he was doing. But I saw that he was about to finish, and I said, I can't let him out. <laughs> I just can't let him out. Because what if he never hears it again? What if this is, uh, you got to assume that you may be the only Jesus they ever hear or ever see. So... I just dove in. I said, you know, I'm a pastor and I'm on the radio. And he said, you're on the radio? And, he, and, and I said, yeah, I am on the radio. He said, what station? And I told him I'm on 91.3 FM. He jumped up. A big smile came on. His, he, I listen to you every day. <laughs> I said, you're kidding me. He said, no, are you really him? And I said, I'm really him. And he said, wow. And as we sat there and we had church in my living room. Now, if he had been lost, I still would have dived in. We need to tell people what we say we saw. Don't we? And I do it all the time. You try the 10-minute rule. Give yourself 10 minutes. You'll find a way to work it in. Let's stand together, can we?
Perhaps you're here today and you have never had this experience that I'm talking about. I'm going to tell you, Jesus is real and he really will change your heart. I'm going to ask us to bow for a moment of prayer, can we? Lord, we thank you right now that Jesus was born in just the right place to give us a message. A perfect picture of the human heart without God. Lord, we see how that manger was transformed by your birth. Thank you for changing our hearts. Now, Lord, in Jesus' name, touch everyone in this sanctuary today. With your head bowed, I want to ask you, is it ever a question mark in your mind whether or not Christ has come into your heart, the manger of your heart? Do you ever hit the pillow at night and when you're alone with your thoughts, you wonder? I want to give you the opportunity today to invite the King of Kings to be born in your heart, that you would be born again. And I'm not going to call you down here. I want to pray for you right where you stand. But can we be honest today with God? If you're a young person, Older person, listen, if you're young, let Jesus have control now. Let him come into your life now. You won't miss a thing. You will gain many things. Let him in now before you're so tempted to mess your life up that it's ruined or almost ruined before he comes in. Let him into your heart now. And my older friend, it's never too late. You're here today. Your heart is beating. You're alive. It's not too late to ask Christ into the manger of your heart. So with our heads bowed, if you can say, Pastor Jeff, I do wonder sometimes. And I want to make sure today that he is living in my heart. There may just be one person. I don't know. But I want to ask you, raise your hand if that's you. And say, I want to be sure. I see you. God bless you and you. Amen. God bless you. And God bless you. I see you. I'm going to lead us in a simple prayer right now. And everybody is sure welcome to pray it with me. But pray this with me, friend, if you raise your hand. Say, Lord Jesus, I believe you died for me. That you were born that first Christmas morn as a picture of how you would come into my heart. I ask you to come in. I open the door. Fellowship with me, Lord, and me with you. Forgive me of my sin and wash me of all unrighteousness. I turn to you in Jesus' name. Now, I want you just to say, thank you, Lord, that you heard me. Thank you, Jesus, that you heard me.